0: Well, good morning, Grace. It is a great day to continue our look at the Sermon on the Mount today. Before we begin, I want to continue to encourage you over the course of the summer to immerse yourself in these chapters. Uh, Kevin, when he started this series a few weeks ago, he he kind of implored us to try some things. Maybe we could uh, read these chapters once a week or maybe once a day. Maybe you could find an audio version of this and incorporate it into your commute or maybe a workout. Uh, even put the challenge on us to memorize sections of this. How might we be able to put this word in our heart, right? Because these are the king's instructions and disciples will naturally want to take these in so that we could live them out. So let's keep doing that as much as we possibly can. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to tell you, in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, there's one particular character and one particular scene that always has made me really sad, but it's also made me kind of wonder in deep ways. I've struggled to kind of understand this character until one day it clicked and I saw myself in this man. And I, I, don't, I don't like that I saw myself in this man because he's not the hero of the story. But I resonate with him in some ways. If you haven't read those books or seen those movies, I'll give you a a brief synopsis, right? There's this ring. It has wonderful powers, but it's almost too powerful. Anyone who comes under it or has possession of it, it does most of the time more harm than good. And so it has to be destroyed. The only problem is once you've kind of tasted the power of this ring, it's hard to ever really go back. All right, your heart gets attached to it. and, And thus we have this man he falls under the spell of the ring so hard that he wastes away as a man. He eventually turns into this kind of vile creature in pursuit of what he calls his precious. Now, don't worry, I won't be doing the voice this morning, okay? (laughs) All right. At the center of his life is this powerful draw. His his entire character arc is this chase, this passion, this all-encompassing effort to get the ring back. He has to have it. This man, Gollum, he's torn between his lust for the ring and yet his desire to be rid of it. His, His pursuit of it leads to his ultimate destruction, all the while saying, my precious, my precious, my precious. And in his final scene, he gains possession of the ring one more time. So overjoyed that he gets his precious back that in a wild dance of celebration and then an ensuing struggle, he falls into a massive pit and dies. But not before saying one more time, my precious. Peter Jackson, who directed the latest version of these movies, he, he portrays in five seconds of film what this man's life was all about, the struggle of this man's life. As he falls off the cliff, he is smiling, deeply satisfied, clutching it like it's everything he's ever wanted or ever needed, his precious, his treasure, all the while it's killing him. Even falling to his own death, he's still so satisfied that he has this thing, so short-sighted, yet so happy, with such a contented heart, at least for a few seconds. As we continue our look today at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in in chapter six, Jesus is gonna turn his attention to the precious, the precious, the thing that we will, the thing we want the most, the thing that will blind us when we come under its power, the thing that so many of us will grasp at, at the singular focus of our lives, sometimes even to our detriment or demise, the thing that blinds us maybe to the truth that's all around us, it steals our joy, The thing that as soon as you threaten it in our lives, we will fight to the bitter end. The thing that sends us down paths that truly never satisfy because at the center of our souls is a precious, a treasure. And that thing that Jesus is gonna talk about today is money, wealth, earthly possessions, however you'd like to say it. Jesus wants to have a define the relationship talk. He wants to have a DTR with his disciples about their relationship with their earthly possessions. Because he knows that this is another barometer. It's another key insight into a disciples, um, really where they're at in the discipleship process. Where they're gonna place their ultimate value will tell us so much about where we are in the discipleship process, and Jesus knows this. Now, whether you realize it or not, Jesus actually talks more about money than he does about sex, heaven, hell, a myriad of other topics. Right. If if we talked about here at Grace, if we talked about money at the same percentage that Jesus did, you'd classify us as one of those churches. Okay, but it's there. It's something he keeps coming back to over and over and over again. It's an important topic for Jesus, and I don't think it's because he wants your money. Okay, all right, we can think about this for a little bit. Right. Jesus, miracle worker, perfect Son of God, all authority under heaven. If he wanted money, he could have had the money while he was on earth. I mean, can you imagine roaming the countryside, performing miracles, how much money this man could have made? But that's not his story. Instead, he walks the walk in some ways. He says things like, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so I think he's the perfect person to talk to us about this. And so let's today, let's let's let the words of our Savior, the words of our King in the Sermon on the Mount, instruct us and do what Jesus is asking us to do, which is to have a conversation to reconsider how a disciple of Jesus, how a kingdom man or woman is supposed to interact with earthly possessions, material wealth. Because friends, one of the things I know is that there are few idols more fiercely defended than our money. It's tied to our souls. That's what Jesus is gonna say. He's gonna say, look, money reveals your heart, the true condition of your heart, right? If you, if you have a lot of it or you, or you have a lot of it, or your tendency sometimes is to overly depend on it, to trust in it, and it can ruin you spiritually. But the same is true on the other side. If you don't have a lot of it, or you think you don't have a lot of it, and you crave it, it can ruin you spiritually as well. Money reveals our hearts on both sides of that equation. And so the big idea from Jesus is this, a disciple's relationship with their earthly possessions, their money, whatever comes through their hands is different. It's, it's built on a kind of rock solid, can't lose strategy intended for your ultimate and eternal joy. And so if you have your Bibles today and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter six, and we're going to start in verse 19 here in just a moment. Now, in this passage today, what you're going to see is Jesus is going to take three different angles on the same topic, right? How we relate to our earthly possessions. And he's going to give three different contrasts, I think, to help us understand this dynamic. He's going to give us, he's going to say multiple times, look, you have two options here. You have a choice to make as a disciple. In my kingdom, you're either going to have your focus on earthly treasure or heavenly or eternal treasure, In my kingdom, you're going to have a a bad eye or a good eye. And in my kingdom, you're going to serve a terrible master or you're going to serve a good master. And so let's take a look at each of those three statements. And the first one begins in verse 19. Let's start with that. Verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Four, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus begins his instructions on this topic with the words, do not. Do not. It's, it's time to stop this. My, my disciples will not live this way. And that word lay up there or store up in some of your translations, so the word lay up and the word treasure actually come from the same root word. A, a more literal translation might have read something like this. Do not treasure up treasures for yourself. And the key word in that text, I think, for us to, to pinpoint on is yourself. Don't treasure these things for yourself. Who, who are you really doing all of the storing up for? What's the motive of the heart behind that? Because for Jesus' disciples, it's the heart attitude towards those possessions that matter. He's almost saying this, look, for, for heirs of the kingdom to hoard riches for themselves in the last day is really short-sighted from an eternal perspective, it it makes no sense. And Jesus is concerned with a level of kind of selfishness, storing up for yourself that's easy to do with, with resources. And I also think it's important to distinguish what Jesus means by earthly treasure. He gives us two clues in this passage, right? He says, look, moth or rust can destroy it and thieves can break in and steal it the hardest part of this passage for me as I read it is as I think about the things that pass through my hands, the things I own on this earth, there's almost nothing that is not susceptible to decay and theft. Almost nothing. Nothing we own is safe from these things. I think that's exactly why Jesus is making this point. In contrast, he's gonna say, look, heavenly resources, earthly, tre- er- eternal treasure is, uh, is not susceptible. It's exempt from decay and theft. They last forever. And so don't put your heart into something that will not last and all of earthly treasure is liable for loss, always. Right? We know this. I, your heart is what matters. I know, I know a few people who have a lot of resources, and you would never know it, and they don't care about it all that much. And I know some people who have a lot of resources, and they stay awake at night wondering if it's all going to be okay, if they have enough, if, where, which way the stock market is going because the giant pile of money is now a less giant pile of money. Sadly, they live the words of the famous poet, Notorious B.I.G., right? Mo' money, mo' problems, okay? Jesus is saying, look, it's foolish to attach your hearts to those things. Don't, don't tether your heart to the earth in that way. It's a bad investment strategy. In the end, you're not gonna, you're not gonna wish you had done that. Don't, don't be satisfied with this earthly ROI. Now, you may have, friends, you may have a whole slew of earthly resources passed through your hands in this life, but as a disciple and a kingdom man and woman, that's all it's doing. It's it's passing through your hands in hopes that we might be able to turn that maybe into some more eternal treasure. How do I do that, right? That's the question I want to ask myself as I read this passage. How How do I use that to get this? What I really want the better investment because a wise steward knows that they, if they can turn something that's temporary into something that's eternal, that's a trade I'll make all day long. Jesus says, look, my disciples will have a different goal. They're attempting to be rich when we get there, not rich while they're here. Even if they do have a lot of means here, even if they do have a high net worth. Jesus never really gives us instructions on what standard of living is okay or acceptable for a believer in Jesus Christ, but he does say, hey, where's your heart in this? What are you seeking the most? Where's your real treasure, your, your precious? G. Campbell Morgan said it this way. It was a great quote. I want to read it for you this morning. All of your life cannot be encompassed in one small sphere upon which you live. You belong to the infinite. If you make your fortune on the earth, poor, sorry, silly soul. You have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. And friends, there are so many verses in the Bible to help us understand this concept. If you're, if you're new to this whole, what does Jesus mean with my money? There's some great cha- chapters I wanna encourage you. The, things, the ones I thought about were First Timothy 6 and Ecclesiastes 5. If you want to consider how a disciple uses their, their resources, those are great places to start. First Timothy 6 has those famous verses about those who desire to be rich. They actually ensnare themselves in some ways. And he says the love of money is the root of all evil. But then at the end of that chapter, he says this. And tell me this doesn't sound like Jesus. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Ecclesiastes 5 starts with this it says, it's a great chapter. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity. When goods increase, they increase that eat them. And what advantage is the owner of that they see it with their own eyes? And it goes on for there to say, look, enjoy your lot in life. But realize there's a, there's a different kind of satisfaction that has nothing to do with the amount of earthly resources you have. Proverbs 3 says it as clearly as, as can and as succinct as possible. It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And so if you're wondering this morning, if Jesus is talking to you, whether you have this problem or not, the short answer is yes. Okay. The longer answer is that Jesus kind of builds his own diagnostic into this statement. The dashboard of your life has some warning lights on it. And he says, look, if you want to understand what's going on here, when the check engine light goes on, pay attention to your heart. In this biblical concept of the heart, literally, it's not really the emotive part of our life. It's more of this kind of idea of it's the kind of control center of your life. And we've, we've talked about this, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the big themes is, is if your heart is right, the, the other things just naturally flow out of that. That's why Jesus is more concerned with what's going on on the inside, not just external behavior. Because treasure always follows your heart. Your heart is always attached to what you treasure, Right? Another way to say it is is the location of your treasure already indicates where your heart is, it already is, not the other way around. And so Jesus is telling you, look, look, look at, look at this. The The things that are prized the most, valued above all else, the thing we protect and worry and think about all the time, those are clues. The place as I thought about it, the place where we spend our money often reveals what we're really after. We're trying to chase some things down that our hearts desperately want. We're trying to chase things down like significance, security, safety, control, comfort. All of these things are really what's going on in the value assessments of our heart as we decide to spend our money. These are the heart issues behind them. One way I've thought to look about this, I've, I've, I've tried to think about this in my own life, is what are the things, when it comes to money, what are the things that give you the biggest like, reactions? Whether that's joy, anger, frustration, okay? Those are heart clues, friends. Those are clues. Those are little warning lights going off that Jesus is trying to say, hey, where's your heart attached? Where are you uh, more uh, after temporary things instead of eternal? Jesus might say it like this. Look, your heart and how you spend your money is an MRI into your soul, okay? When you go in for an MRI, they don't care about how you feel. They just take a bunch of pictures and it tells you exactly what's going on in your body, all right? And look, Jesus is saying, look, how you spend your money, it is a direct MRI into your soul. And so consider that, friends. Consider that this morning. Are you too focused on things that are temporary instead of eternal? Jesus moves on to the next statement, Sandwich between this command to lay up treasure in heaven and a, a warning upcoming is this kind of strange concept about the eye being the lamp of the body. In verse 22 or 23, it reads this way The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, as I was reading this, the first time I reread it through this to prepare for this message, I, I, I thought, like, this doesn't seem like it goes with the other two on either side of it. But the more I thought about it, the more I and did some reading, the more I discovered that it's exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is kind of a, a proof between two statements. He's saying, look, if your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. He uses a natural illustration. But if your eye has darkness in it, in other words, like this, like how, how you see determines whether you're in the dark or not. The eye functions like a, a lamp to the body. If your eye's working well, you can see everything you need to see. Your, your path is illuminated. But if your eye is bad, you'll walk around this life stumbling around, bumping into things, eventually hurting yourself. You're not making, you can't make good judgments or good assessments because your, your vision is impaired. Seeing the, the right thing, seeing the way the world really is, according to Jesus, is having the good eye. It can be as simple as this, right? If you're, if you're seeing things off or bad, there's no way you can kind of walk the path you're supposed to walk. You can't see where you're going. You're, you're spiritually blind. I thought, when I, when I read this passage, I thought about this time. I was, I was staying in a hotel. I had just finished a couple of days of very kind of strenuous hiking, and I was exhausted. I mean, miles and miles and miles in high altitude. And I I, I fell asleep, I crashed and burned one night, and I woke up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, and I was so out of it, so kind of just out of my mind in some ways, so tired, that I assumed that I was in my home, okay? And I got to use the restroom, and I was not in my home. I was in a very different setting, and I slammed into a wall, about as hard as you can slam into a wall at three o'clock a.m., okay? Because my eye, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't see, and even though I was trying to stumble around, I, I couldn't see where I was going. I was blind to everything around me, crashing into things. I wish there had been some more light available to me. Jesus might say this Hey, how's your, how's your vision? Have you, have you taken a spiritual vision exam lately? Are you still seeing things 2020 or do you have like a spiritual cataract or a stigmatism of greed or hoarding or enough is never enough and it's blinding you it's causing you not to see the world the way it really is you're not really able to assess true value long-term value eternal value And then to drive the point home even further, Jesus finishes with verse 24. It's a passage many of us are familiar with. He says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The king says, you can't do it. It's impossible. You're not gonna be able to make that work. And those words there, they are the words they they imply that word there for master is literally the word for slave owner. Total control. No such thing as partial, part-time obligation to a master. And the word serve there is actually the word for a slave. It's not like an employee-employer relationship. You can't belong to two masters or two owners. It's not impossible. You, you belong wholly to that person. You can't have two masters much in the same way that you can't walk in two directions. There's different purposes, different, uh, different orders these two masters are going to demand very different things. Friends, hear me clearly. It's no sin to make money. It's no sin to have money or have a lot of it. But serving it on the the other hand, being a slave to it, that's something a disciple cannot do. They can't do it. It's impossible because a time will come when those two masters will make opposing demands. And you better know who the real master is. A time will come when the king will come calling for some earthly resources or some act of obedience. And I don't want there to be a catch in my spirit of who I really serve. The king will come calling for a different way of living, a way of honesty, of not cutting corners to get just a little bit more in this life. And I'll need to know who my real master is. Jesus is saying without, I think, equivocation at all, There is something about God and money that lends itself to mastery. Your soul was made, it was wired that way. And I know our modern sensibilities don't like those two terms. I don't like them either, but it's actually the metaphor Jesus uses here. So there's gotta be something we can learn here. You'll have have a master. And sometimes that master will be yourself. You'll put yourself in that place. You'll decide to do things based on how you feel, what you think is best. All right, that doesn't always work out for us well. Sometimes it'll be the money or the pursuit of it. That's what Jesus is saying, and it it will master you. You will do anything to serve that master. You'll cut the corners. You'll needlessly hoard. Your open-handedness and generosity will almost be non-existent. It could be any number of things you set up a master, but you will have a master. In the famous words of Bob Dylan, you gotta serve somebody doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how much you have, how much power you have, you're gonna serve somebody. And so friends, I, I don't think it's difficult to see what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, but, but terribly hard to apply to our lives because as humans, I think this is one of those areas where we will deceive ourselves 492 different ways. This is an issue for me. This is an issue for someone else, those people who have more money than I do. And Jesus is saying, nope, it's for, it's for all of us. It's for every single disciple of mine needs to have this define the relationship talk about how I use my earthly resources. Pastor Tim Keller tells a funny story about how he was doing a a series on the seven deadly sins with a men's group. Can you guess which one far and away was the least attended? Greed. No one ever thinks they have that problem. That's for those greedy capitalist billionaires, right? We tend, to find, we tend to always define rich as people who have more than us. That's how deceptive it is. Money is powerful, friends. It is so powerful. It can make us feel like we're in control. I can control my safety. I can control my family dynamics. We can have the kind of life we want. We can manufacture the results in this life that we would like. I can control my world if I just have Enough and enough always seems to be a little bit more than I currently have. It's always one more notch up the socioeconomic ladder. And it's this powerful illusion, but it is that, it's an illusion of control. And so I think the hard question for us today is, hey, as we consider this text, consider what it's saying, consider the world we live in, our cultural moment that does not help us, considering maybe how some of us grew up with kind of faulty or flawed ways of viewing money, Okay, Jesus, how do, you, how do you want me to live in this area of my life? How do I, how do I joyfully come under your kingship in this area, of big, important, prevalent area of my life? How do I have the right master, right, in a world that is full of people who are slaves to the dollar and the pursuit of it? They'll do whatever it says, they'll do it. They won't think twice, they'll bow to it, whatever it says, because it's my master. How do I avoid being mastered by the wrong thing? How do I have eyes to see what I need to see? And how do I how do I store up the most eternal treasure I can and have my heart desire that more than anything else? And so as I was thinking about this for my own life, I started asking myself some questions. That's that's just the natural way I think through this. Like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to hear here? And I, I came up with three questions. They're pretty simple. They're straight from the text, and I'm gonna go through them and maybe give some practical ways that we might be able to apply this to our lives. Question number one where's your treasure? And where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Randy Alcorn said it this way. He said, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to generosity or giving is this, the illusion that earth is our home. The illusion that earth is our home. Our our hearts, friends, they long for ease and comfort and safety on this earth. And by God's good grace, we get some of that. We get to enjoy our lot in life. But Jesus says, look, you might wanna have a eternal investment strategy. That turns some of these earthly things into eternal treasure on the way. Jesus is not saying there's not proper and right to set aside money for a rainy day or to plan for the future. Okay, there are all kinds of verses in the Bible that instruct us about how to be wise and properly manage our finances. But Jesus says this: I think in this passage, the goal of a disciple is to make it to eternity with the most spiritual treasure. That's the goal of the disciple. And he says, look, if you spend your time on this earth highly valuing and getting your heart attached to earthly treasure, you will miss the other. And a disciple doesn't want that. My, my kingdom people, they're, they're looking, they're always looking for ways to turn their earthly resources into heavenly treasure because they'll make, they'll make that trade all day long. And so I think we gotta ask ourselves, how are we doing that honestly? I mean, how are you doing? How much of the resources that pass through your hands Have you tried to turn into eternal treasure? As your income has increased over the years, have you put any governors on your lifestyle to make sure that every bump up doesn't automatically mean I'm storing up more for myself? I don't think Jesus is asking you to do anything foolish financially, but how do you know when enough is enough? Have you done the hard work as a disciple? Have you had those moments where you and God got in a room, in in your inner room, like we talked about last week, and done the hard work of saying, God, show me. Show me how you want me to live in this earth when it comes to this area. Ask him to give you insight specifically into this area of how do I need to live in this way, Lord? In the early church, there was a document that went around. It's not in our scriptures, but it was called the Letter to Diognetus. And part of it was trying to describe what was so countercultural about Christianity in that day and age, in the early church, like the 200s and 300s. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the idea was this it says that Christians share their table with all, but don't share their beds with all. They're promiscuous with their money and resources. And stingy with their bodies, not promiscuous with their bodies and stingy with their resources and wealth. It's still as countercultural as it was back then, friends. And yet it's still the way of disciples. We're not living for this world. Our hands are open. Our grip isn't too tight around the things of this earth. We'll gladly give it away when we need to. The second question that helps us, I think, is Is my eye good? Is your eye good? Are you seeing the world the right way? Do you have a discerning eye that can really see and prefer heavenly treasure over earthly treasure? See the world the way it really is. You could this, moment, this week in a, in a quiet moment with you and the Lord pray and ask that he would unblind you, that you could see things the right way. Because we're gonna be tempted, and especially in this world I think we live in, to chase after the things of the world, right? We're, we'll chase after security, personal worth and value, Power, independence, pleasure, control. All of these things are the things be- behind why we spend our money the way we spend our money. Because our, ri- our eyes don't always see what's right and real and true, and, and, and we, we sometimes want to get that out of money instead of trusting God to do that. So ask Him to unblind you. Ask, ask Him in a quiet moment God, help me see things clearly. I don't want to be blind to what's going on around me. And then the final question is Who's your master? I think that's, uh, that's the question that has stuck with me the, the, all this week. Jesus said it about as clearly as he can. You will be ruled by one of these things. And a disciple, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were, you were bought with a price. You, you, have, you have a master. You have a king. And when my earthly resources are called upon by God, I don't want there to be a hitch in my spirit to let go of those temporary resources In fact, I'm I'm actively looking for ways to do that, to turn my earthly treasure into something that lasts a little bit longer for eternity. Friends, I'll say it again. Jesus does not hate money or wealth. It's okay to make some. It's okay to excel in your work and be rewarded for that accordingly. He just knows it makes a terrible God. A terrible God. It is not a benevolent master. It's a cruel master. It will take from you more than it will ever give. A cruel master that will ultimately leave your heart unsatisfied, unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and eternally broke. And I think that's the tragedy. A tragedy would be for disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ to get to the end of their journey and have it be said, they were rich here, but eternally broke. This is a hard area for me. I'll I'll be honest, it's one of the ones I've struggled with a lot in my life. Um, Part of that has to do with my upbringing. I I didn't grow up with means, okay? And so I I fooled myself for a lot of years into thinking that this really isn't about me because I never had enough to be qualified as quote-unquote rich, okay? But there's a verse later on in the book of Matthew where Jesus says this. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's, it's, it scared me, rightfully so. Because as a kid who grew up in a trailer park, right, without much means, secondhand clothes, the whole deal, I didn't think I was those rich people. Now, as I've gotten older, I realized Jesus was talking to me. I've been given a lot. And I've seen over the years that with every little bump up in resources or income, that this does not get easier. It, it only gets harder it's easier to love and trust in those resources as my safety net rather than loving and trusting the God of the universe who's promised to provide for me everything I need. And so ask, they ask a question, or he says, hey, how, how can a rich person get there? That's the disciple's next question. Jesus, if that's the case, who, who, can, who can even do this? Like, who gets in? This seems impossible. And Jesus responds, it is so comforting to me. He says this, he says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You can have a little and be a disciple, and you can be wealthy and be a kingdom person or disciple. It can be done, but it is going to take God's help. It's going to take a work of the Spirit in your life. It's going to take some of God's good grace to to radically change your life in a way that you might be able to live in a way that money serves your God, not the other way around. With Jesus, all things are possible. It can be done. But if so, I think a disciple is going to have to do the kinds of things that this passage talks about, which is I got to value the right things. I got to fight to value the right things. I have to keep my eyes clean and pure and look at the world the right way so that I'm not stumbling around this earth. And I'm going to have to make a decision about who I really serve. And if I do that, there's a chance there's a chance that those who have so many earthly resources pass through their hands that they can be kingdom people too with an eternal bank account that is full. And so men and women of grace, where's, where's your treasure at this morning? What's your heart attached to? Where's your precious at? Is there something in your life that you're foolishly clinging onto as your treasure, as your precious? You'll, you'll, you'll chase it at all costs no matter what it might cost you eternally, Jesus might say, look, be careful, friends. Be careful in your attempts to pursue wealth that you miss out on the better investment of treasure in heaven. Jesus might say, look, you might wanna check your eternal investment strategy. Let's, let's open up the portfolio. Is there a column that says eternal? How full could I get that thing before my days are over? Because disciples live differently. They treasure the right things. Their their hearts are not attached to things that are temporary, things that won't last. Their eyes see properly. Their view of the world and this place that we're in are fine tuned. They know this is temporary, and they know which master they're serving. And when one boss asks for the other, it's an easy choice. He's my master, he's my king. He's been good to me, he's supplied all that I need and given me so much of what I want. I can trust him. I can trust his goodness to me in this area instead of worrying or fretting or stressing or hoarding needlessly. And that's actually where Jesus is gonna continue next week. But we'll leave that for that. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you today in need, God, in need of, God, I think a surgeon to do a good work on our hearts, God. God, we're gonna need your help to value the right treasure, God, to make your kingdom and eternal, kind of heavenly treasure are precious, the thing we value the most. God, help our hearts to chase after those things first and foremost. Help us see clearly, God, with, with good, good eyes. Help us serve the right master. We're prone, God. We are prone to keep going back to broken cisterns that hold no water, back to cruel, cruel masters. And you've You've provided a better way. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light, God. We're grateful for that. Help us, Father. Help us do all of this and help us live as your disciples in this world. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.